0: You can take your Bibles now, and we will get into our sermon for this evening, which is going to be from 1 Timothy chapter 4. As I find the spot myself, 1 Timothy chapter 4, we are endeavoring to take our time studying through the pastoral epistles, which of course include the first and second books to Timothy and also the book to the letter to Titus. And um, as we have seen so far, these books have a lot more to say to all of us than just to those who are entering pastoral ministry. (laughs) Uh, They were, yes, written to young pastors, young preachers of the word, as they were endeavoring to take up the mantle, so to speak, from the Apostle Paul in the first century. But they have much more to say to the everyday Christian who comes to a church and uh, informs them of their roles in that church in such a way that it seeks to envelop them in the gospel of God. As Paul will continually repeat throughout this letter, the sound doctrine of God. And here as we've seen, where this is week number eight, part eight as we've gone through this book. And here we have Paul as he has just finished describing what the sort of true religion we might say, true religion looks like, in that it is, it is not uh, in this way outward. He was talking about these ideas of forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats and such. And he is seeking to uh, ground the young preacher, Timothy, in the truth of the word and what it means to be, as he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 15, uh, as the church to function as the pillar and ground of the truth. And what roles that he can play in that. And what roles his church will play in that function. He's instructing Timothy. As we've said in sound doctrine. Which we have also said which means literally healthy words. The healthy words of the gospel. Which in verse 6 I think it is. Yes 6 of chapter 4. Where he says. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. These are the words, the healthy words of the gospel, which nourish the church, which nourishes Timothy himself. These are the words which, as he goes on to elaborate in the next verses, which produce an exercise unto godliness, would produce a spirit in him, Timothy himself, but also in those in his church, which would uh, seek for them to be trained in the spirit, we might even say. Exercise unto godliness. This is what the gospel does, which is really what he is seeking uh, throughout these letters to sort of get into Timothy's mind. That this gospel of God, the gospel which is in fr- the chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That good news transforms the people of God from the inside out. It transforms their hearts, which then transforms how they live. It changes them. And this, this is the thing that Timothy was to command and teach. Which brings us to verse 11 where he says, These things command and teach. These very things. The things that he's been harping on for so long. These things of the gospel. That the true and steady words of faith. Which he says in verse 16 of chapter 3. The mystery of the incarnation. These things, Timothy, hold to them. Don't shrink from them, don't back down from them, actually double down on them, command them, teach them, declare them, instruct them to those in your church, instruct them to yourself. These are the things that make up your ministry, Timothy. These are the things that you can have confidence in as you are ministering for the Lord Jesus in this church at Ephesus. These are the things I think Paul is saying here that Timothy was to conduct his entire ministry on, construct his entire ministry on, quote, these things. The things that Paul has been laboring to get into Timothy's mind. And such is why in verse 10 he says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And here, in the last couple verses of chapter 4, I think really what we're going to see is how Paul really is going to describe to Timothy what that sort of laboring looks like. The laboring after godliness, the exercise unto godliness, which is profitable, he says, unto all things. What does that look like in Timothy's life? What does that look like in our lives? I think that's what we're given a portrait of here. In these last verses, verses 11 through 16... Kind of shows the importance of the doctrine that Paul has been seeking to get into Timothy's heart and mind. Which would then lead to the devotion in his private and public life. The sound doctrine of God transforms every sphere of our lives. And here, it, he talks about both of them both the public life that Timothy's to have as the preacher and pastor and shepherd of this church, but also uh, privately as a man of faith himself. So, quickly, let's look at those two spheres as we see them in these verses. And first of all, we have the primacy of private worship. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul is writing to a young man, Timothy. Timothy, at this time, was either in his late 20s to early 30s. It's kind of speculative, what most scholars believe his age to be. But regardless, he was a young pastor, and he's speaking to Timothy right at the moment, uh, perhaps, of something that was very resonate, resonant to Timothy, his age. He's speaking to Timothy uh, about something that could have worked against him, that could have been a detriment to him. Remember, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 6, Paul, even in the qualifications of the shepherds of the church, he says that a shepherd should not be a novice, verse 6, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. He's speaking to this very reality, which probably was a very real reality for Timothy as he was engaging to minister to a church which had been established by his own mentor. Which had been uh, uh, built up by Paul himself. And now, here he's taking up that mantle as a young preacher. It probably was something which Timothy felt very strongly and deeply in his soul. I, Timothy, or Paul, Timothy might have said, I don't feel worthy of this calling. I don't feel ready to take up this mantle. And here he's saying, Don't let anyone despise your youth, Timothy. Don't let anyone uh, disrespect your leadership. And how? You don't go out and demand it, Timothy. He doesn't say to Timothy to go out and demand this respect of those that he's ministering to. How does he say to do it? Be an example. Be it, uh, excuse me, verse 12. But be thou an example of the believers. Live it, Timothy. Live it and how you walk and talk and breathe and function. Live what you're saying. The truth that you're trying to get across, the truth that you're trying to minister to those who are around you, live it. And they will see it. It reminds me of that verse. Actually, it's that song. If you have Facebook, you saw little Lydia. She came up to us the other night. and She just said this phrase over and over again. Let it shine. But we couldn't understand what she was saying. <laughs> she came up to us and was, and was like, let it shine. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you saying? And we finally realized she had been trying to get us to sing that song. Which, how does it go? Let it shine. Um, this, little this little light of mine. I can't sing it. Anyways, but she came up to me and Natalie, Natalie sang it with her. And it was really cute. But I think that's exactly what Paul is getting at to Timothy here. Hey, Timothy, you want to be a light for the gospel in this dark world? Let your light shine. Be an example. Live the gospel. Have the gospel live through you as you seek to minister the gospel to those that are around you. This, Timothy, this is how you're going to dispel any disregard for you and your ministry because of how young you are. Demonstrate your devotion. Demonstrate your commitment to the gospel and the truth of God's word. Let no man despise you for your youth. How? By being an example. That's how he was to eliminate that despising of himself, that disrespect. Let your light shine. Let your living, he's basically saying, do most of the talking. You notice all the, all the aspects of life he mentions. He says, in uh, word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It basically covers all aspects of Timothy's life. In word, the, the things that you talk, the things that you say, in conversation, that's your lifestyle, the, the way in which you live, how you carry yourself in your daily life. In your charity, in your compassion, your love for others, your deference for other people's situations. In your faith, in what you believe, in what you hold to, in what you cling to, in your purity, in how you live, in what you do. Those things, all of those things, Timothy, they have for you the best way in order to demonstrate your devotion. Living the gospel through these aspects. Living the gospel through these uh, phases of your life. This is Paul's charge to young Timothy to demonstrate these things. And such would, as we go back to chapter 3, verse 7. You know, he mentions don't be a novice. Then he says, verse 7, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. How is Timothy to build a good report? By demonstrating these things. By living them, by being an example. Not shouting from the rooftops, hey, this is the calling God has given me. But living the calling in his daily life. Being an example in all aspects of his life. And notwithstanding how young or how old he was, this is his charge. To exemplify the truth. Yes, we are to preach the gospel. We are also called to be living gospels. Paul says that ye are our epistle. We are living sermons to those that are around us. How are you living for the truth? In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. How is that affecting you and how are you affecting those that are around you? And this is not possible for Timothy. This is not possible for us. This type of living is not possible unless you do. As he says in verse 15. He says meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. He says Timothy stay true to these things. But more than that. More than just staying true to them. Give yourself fully to them. Give yourself fully to these things of the gospel. They were to fill his heart. Fill his mind. That phrase, give yourself wholly, really just conveys the sense of immerse yourself in these truths. Let them just be uh, the things that you live in, that you breathe in them all the time. This was Timothy's charge as this young pastor of this church. These things of the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Timothy, live in that. Live in that truth. And demonstrate it in how you live. This, I think, is one of the most uh, chief duties of any pastor of any church. That he realizes just what that verse says in verse well, one, chapter 1, verse 15. Let me read it to you verbatim. Timothy, well, Paul writes to Timothy, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul is writing that to Timothy. And basically what he's saying here, Timothy, you need to write that for yourself. Unless Timothy saw himself as the chief of sinners, he would never be able to live this type of gospel to others around him who were sinners. Hey, Timothy, this is you too. This is me. Give yourself wholly to this truth that the gospel is for sinners and that includes the one who is preaching to sinners. Give yourself wholly to this. It reminds me of this Scottish uh, preacher, his name was Patrick Fairbairn. And he says this, that the duty of a pastor is to press on his congregation's regard what is uppermost in his own. Namely, the surpassing love and beauty and preciousness of the crucified one. And the alone sufficiency of his great salvation. You notice what he says? He's to press onto his congregation's mind what is uppermost in his own mind. Seeing himself as the chief of sinners would allow him to preach to sinners because he would know that he was one, that he is one, and that he needs these very truths for himself. He needs them for himself on a daily basis. Fairbairn continues, he says, In so doing, the preacher is not so properly declaring his own mind as expounded and setting forth the mind of God. Such is what a preacher is called to do. Such is what I feel called to do. That I'm not setting forth my own thoughts about this Bible and about what I believe to be the gospel. I'm pressing in, or I believe, I hope I am, pressing in to what God's word says about me. That I am the chief of sinners. That I need this grace that comes unto me. That saves me apart from my own involvement. I need this good news for my own soul. And unless I see that, I'm never going to be able to share it with others. And unless you see that, you will never be able to share this gospel with others. You will never be able to live it unless you see that this gospel is for you. Which leads me to say that you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot share something that is not yours. You cannot share this gospel for sinners unless you realize that that is you. I think that's what he's saying to Timothy here. Timothy, your private life of personal worship of your Savior has the greatest amount of impact on how you live your life for God. Your personal devotion shapes how you see your Savior and yes, how you will share the news of that Savior. Such is why he is saying, give yourself wholly to these things. Live in them, breathe in them, immerse yourself in them. See yourself right here because this is you. This is how he was to be an example. He would not be effective for Christ unless his life was bound up. Unless he had given his whole life to Christ and the things of Christ. His success was tied to it. His success as a pastor of this church was tied to the fact that he saw himself right here as the one who needed saving the most. And I think the same goes for us. The writer Paul Tripp, he said this, Your private devotional life has the power to kill you like nothing else does. I think that's so true. And it speaks to me. How am I making time for God? Am I living in these things? Are these the things that are uppermost in my mind? I pray that they are. I have to confess to you that sometimes they are not. I'm weak. I'm fleshly. I'm human. But the good news for us is the good news for all of us. That our our lives... As God's sons and daughters are found in this God who saves sinners and who enables them by his spirit to, yes, be an example. And yes, in all these things, but we might also add, yes, even in our confession. In our confession of our own weakness. In our humility and in our faith and in our compassion towards one another. This is the good news. This is the charge of Paul to Timothy here for this private worship of God. It was to be primary in his life. And it would have a direct impact on the second lesson of our text, which is the priority of public witness. Look at verse 13. We have the primacy of private worship and the priority of public witness. Look at verse 13. He says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, he says, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. He moves now, Paul the apostle moves, to speak to how this private worship of God would then affect how he witnessed to this God in the public sphere, in the public realm, as a pastor. As one who would ascend into the pulpit to preach the word and to, yes, counsel those in his church, this would all flow from his private worship, his life of giving himself wholly to these things. And that which he was giving himself unto ought to fill the sanctuary. You notice what he says? He says. Be an example until I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. The very things that he was uh, charged to give himself unto is that which he was to fill the church with. To fill all of his uh, discourses with these things, the things that God was showing him reading there. Reading means knowing or owning. It was the truth that was becoming part of him. Exhortation, encourage or charge like he was being charged by Paul himself. And doctrine really means just teaching or instruction. All of these things, all of his ministerial duties should be so suffused and steeped in the words of the gospel that he cannot escape it. He cannot escape this good news for sinners. It was to fill every aspect of the service. Every aspect of his ministry. And in so doing he would fulfill this call on his life. He said neglect not the gift that is in thee. Which was given thee by prophecy. Before time. Before long. Paul realized uh, the calling on Timothy's own life. He was raised as you know. Mostly by his mother and grandmother. Timothy was, who were faithful to the word of God, the teachings of Christ, the way of Christ as it was known in the Acts. And here is evident to Paul that, Timothy, you have a calling on your life. Fulfill it. Again, not by living for yourself, but by being an example of the truth that resides within you. He knew this appointment of Timothy's was from God alone. It wasn't something that Timothy had brought on to himself, it was something from God. Therefore, he was charged to live for God. And by doing so, he would show, uh, again, his, uh, his profiting, it says in verse 15. Uh, he would, uh, that thy profiting may appear to all, or advancement, thy progress, thy uh, sort of uh, growth in the things of the word would appear. As you are giving yourself and living for God alone. Do not neglect these things, he says. Do not squander your gift. Do not waste what God has given you. Don't waste this opportunity. Don't squander the thing that is right before you, Timothy. Live in it and preach it. And give yourself wholly to it. Meditate on these things, he says in verse 15. And in verse 16, he says, continue in them. Abide in them. Swim in them. Cling to them. Why? Verse 16 again, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them for in so doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, Paul is not here saying somehow that Timothy could save his congregation in any way. He wasn't saying that he could be the savior of them, but he was pointing to the fact, Timothy, how you live for this is how you are proving and demonstrating the savior that you're preaching about. You want to you point to Jesus? Live for Jesus. You want to point others to this Savior who saves sinners? Point uh, to this Savior who saves sinners by living for Him in all of these aspects in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Live for Him in those ways, in those moments. Yes, even the moments people don't see. Even the, in, the, in the moments when people aren't around to observe you, how are you living for Jesus even there? There is a serious business that happens when we open the word to preach it. I don't say this because I I think that the pastorate is somehow uh, uh, like, I don't say this just because I'm egotistical or anything. But I do think that the preaching of the word is one of the most dangerous jobs that you can engage in. And yeah, there's a lot more other dangerous jobs. There's uh, physically dangerous. I'm not trying to say that. But I would say that what happens when the word is opened is literally a life or death matter. That how a preacher uses the word of God and relays it to those that are in his, in his, uh, under the sound of his voice can have a direct impact on whether they go to hell or to heaven. On whether they accept Jesus as their savior or whether they do not, whether they reject him. It's a life or death matter when the preacher opens his mouth. I pray for preachers everywhere. Because when those that are under the sound of his voice walk and sit in pews or chairs or whatever. Wherever the venue, there is eternity at stake. There is souls on the line. And how he opens and uh, uses this word to preach either the good news or just whatever he wants to preach will have a direct impact on how those who walk out of his doors either live or don't live for that God that he supposedly loves and preaches. It's a serious Matter. There's souls in the balance. There's this line that comes from, again, Patrick Fairbairn, who is writing in this book that I've been reading called Pastoral Theology. And he says this The pastoral office has to do with the oversight and care of souls. I don't know why, but that has just struck me in the heart. That it's not, just, uh, it's not just you're just playing around with numbers. So we, let's increase the Sunday service attendance. <laughs> it's not just any sort of uh, other business thing where you're just trying to increase numbers. It is literal souls that are being entrusted to your account. Timothy, hey, you want to know how to seriously uh, shape up and sober your ministry? You got souls on the line. When I read that for myself... It made me sober up. It made me seriously weigh what God is placing before me. The fact that there's souls on the line. How can I be fast and loose with God's word when there's souls in the balance? How can I just kind of be lazy in my exposition of the word. When I know that this word is the same word that has the power of God unto salvation. It's not just good advice. It's not just life hacks. It's not just a manual for spiritual living. It's the power of God unto the salvation of men's and women's souls. That's serious stuff. When you are reading the word of God, you are reading what God has given to us for your salvation and for those around you, their salvation too. How can I be lax with the time afforded to me to proclaim this good news? You know, there's, I'll be honest with you, I'm not not a very funny person. I don't consider myself humorous. I don't really think I'm... Witty or anything like that. If you asked me to tell you a joke, I would literally freeze up and probably faint because I don't know one. I couldn't come up with one, and that's okay. If you if you want a more jokey pastor, I'll be honest with you. You can probably find them. You can probably find one who's more entertaining. I try and listen to other preachers so I can maybe change that about myself, but I have to just be myself. If you want a comedian pastor, you can find them. But to me, I take this very seriously. I cannot be that way behind the pulpit. When I open this word and I see what it says, when I see what it says about me and what it says about you, when it says about all of us around the whole world, That we cannot save ourselves. That we cannot have any bearing in that uh, scheme of salvation. That God saves us by his work alone. And that unless you believe in the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, you are on your path to eternal destruction. That is serious and it sobers me. Because there are souls that believe that they have it. That's why whenever I get up to preach, I don't assume that everyone in the crowd is a Christian. Because there are countless souls that have believed in the things of the God, but they have believed them, that they have done them themselves, that they have been their saviors for so long. This is why I take it seriously. I don't think that that means we can't have fun. You can laugh at my expense, that's okay. We can all be, we can find humor, yes, in many things. I think too, one of my uh, preachers that I know down in Florida, his, his name is Steve Brown. And he would, used to say that the laughter of the redeemed, he used to talk about the laughter of the redeemed is the most loud laugh of any in the world. Why? Because they have a peace which transcends anyone in the world. You can laugh greater. We can laugh better than anyone. Why? Because we know that we have everything uh, is not in our control. That's freeing. That can make us laugh. But I think uh, whenever I open this word, I don't want to waste the opportunity. I don't want to, as Timothy is being charged with here, neglect the gift that is in me. Neglect the charge that is upon thee, Timothy. I want to strive and be an example of living the gospel of relaying it to others but just by shouting it but just how I live and talk and speak and interact in my deference in my compassion in my conversation I pray to God that he would change me in that way This same truth applies to all of us. Your public witness for God is deeply connected to your private worship of that same God. How are you spending your time with God? It doesn't have to be in the morning. It doesn't have to be this quiet time at 5 a.m. in the morning. It can be. That's a good time to do it. I know for me it is because uh, Lydia likes to wake up early and if she's up early then it, there's no quiet time half after that. <laughs> How are you spending your time with God? Are you spending your time with God? Prioritize it, make it primary in your life. You cannot share what you do not have. If you're frustrated that you're not living confidently and boldly for Jesus, perhaps it's because you have a closed Bible next to your bed. Our private worship leads into our public witness. What kind of doctrine are you living? What kind of gospel are you preaching as you live? What kind of sermon are you delivering as you interact and talk and and live with those that are around you? Paul says to Timothy, take heed unto thyself. And continue in these things. For in them you will save both thyself and them that hear thee. What message are you preaching? Let us pray.